0: Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see. Everything that I keep missing, give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the once forgotten. Give me your eyes so that I can see. But that's a prayer we've got to be praying. Give me your eyes, Jesus, please. I've got to see this world as you see it. God gives us a heart for Him in worship. And He's been doing that today. He's been lifting us up. And it is so great to have our new worship leader, Greg Creek, with us. he been here for a few years. He came to us from Kansas City with his wife, Gina. We come here through music. Simple little ensemble, sometimes full orchestration, doesn't matter. We come for one reason. We want to connect with the divine. And I love that prayer. How prime time is that prayer? Give me your eyes. Just give me your eyes for just one second. Well, let's give him our minds now. He's got a teaching for us today. I'm excited about this one. I want to start with a story, but I want to begin with a prayer first. Let's pray. Oh, God, give us Your eyes, please. Your eyes for the brokenhearted. Your eyes for the lonely. Give us Your eyes for the lost. They are all around us. We're here, swept up to Your throne room. There are times when we say, Oh, I don't want to ever leave this place. I just want to stay here with You, God. But you say, No, 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 you can't stay. I feel You. Then you go. I'll give you my eyes. So give us a heart and eyes for the lost. Right now, as this teaching commences, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Because you're the primetime generation, I want to begin today with a story. I got a letter from one of our listeners. We're not only on television, but we're on radio. And he was listening on WAUS several years ago. So he is responding to what we shared that Sabbath here in the pulpit. I wrote him back, responded back to him, and out of that conversation in the mail, we set up an appointment to meet. He was living up in St. Joe and businessman in St. Joe. So I made arrangements to go to his home. Met him, his wife, family. And out of that, out of that meeting. Through the radio at first. A study relationship developed. He was eager to get into the Word. Now this this gentleman, a quasi-God believer, but I'm agnostic about Jesus. I just don't know about this thing you're saying about Jesus, you Christians. Considered himself a Christian. So we made a deal. Okay, every Wednesday, he's a com- comptroller of his company. Still, still is. Okay, every every Wednesday at noon, I'll come up there, and let's just walk the beach together. We might have a brown bag. Might not, but we'll just study for one hour. You give your lunch break, and I'll give mine. And So we did. Week after week after week. and That went on for three years. And I'm telling you, he's just not getting it about this Jesus, and I I am at my wits' end. I'm saying, "There's, there's nothing more I can do. Please. And then the man went through a crisis. A meltdown crisis. And one night, alone in his home, something supernatural happened. And I want him to tell you what happened. And so, where's my friend Dick Mackey? Where are you, Dick? There you are. Come on up. Dick and I become friends. He's a runner. He encouraged me in this life of running. But, Dick, here you are. You're going through that meltdown. Wife, children gone, separated. You're in that house all alone one night. Tell us what happened.
1: Well, it was... It's probably the lowest point of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a bunch of people here and they've been supporting me and encouraging me. But I was really depressed and lonely this night and I made a few phone calls. This is before cell phones. Mm-hmm. Nobody was home um, and I'm just feeling really, really alone and I'm in the kitchen and I'm washing dishes and guys do wash dishes, mm-hmm. there you go. And especially if there's nobody else in the house. Uh, And I'm washing dishes, and I'm crying. And guys do cry too. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking to God. I've I've been talking to God all my life, but I'm talking to Him and saying, "I just, I just want to be held. I just want someone to be there. I just want to be held." And I'm standing there at the sink, and I felt arms wrapping around me from behind. And I don't understand what happened, but I knew, somehow I knew, this was Jesus. Mm. I had prayed to God, and God had sent Jesus. And I still didn't understand all the connections, but I knew that Jesus must come from God and be with God. Mm. And that was the beginning.
0: And we connected after that story, and you told me about what had happened. And then it was just like everything started falling in place after that and pretty soon we're getting ready to stand in that baptistry together, you and I. So you write this poem because you're a poet and I used to share your, your poetry with me. But you write a special poem. Tell us about that poem.
1: I wanted to, to do my testimony and it came out in, in poetry form. But I'm still struggling with this cross. I don't you know, how do you reconcile the world through blood, guts, and gore? I just don't understand that. And I wrote this poem. I showed it to Dwight. I showed it to the person who was going to sing it. And they came back and they said, we have a problem with this because it's not biblical. And Dwight said, you know, we, can't, we can't use this. And I went home that night and I opened the door. I got about a few feet Inside, hit the wall, slid down the wall. I'm on the floor, crying. Hmm. Because I don't know what to do. I mean, it's just, this is, I'm depressed again. You know, and I'm just, I say to God, what do I do? What do I do? And inside my head, very distinctly, the words came, let Jesus speak for himself. And I got a pencil and paper, and within a couple minutes, I wrote down these lines. Weep not, my child, embrace the love my heart would share. I know your shame and your unspoken prayer. Upon my cross, that prayer and God were reconciled. When faith proclaimed... My grace forever there. And I'd like to say two things to this congregation. One, thank you for being there when I needed it. Mm. And secondly, I was raised in a congregational church. I was a practicing Catholic for about 15 years or so. But I have never met the Jesus you know until I came here. You know Jesus different than anyone else. And the world needs to know your Jesus. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: So, we're in that baptistry together. It was a hallelujah day for you and for me. Now, I'll tell you why I'm wanting Dick to share his story. Several reasons. Number one... Here's a story of a God who says, Okay, you've done everything you can. Step out of the way. This is my moment. And supernaturally, God can step in to the people we care about. Just supernaturally do whatever He's got to do, like He did for you.
1: God answers prayer. Yeah.
0: Number two. Here you are, a friend and servant of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. You saw Dick this morning. He was receiving the offering. He's also one of our uh, first grade uh, Sabbath school leaders. Yeah. And number three. Number three. Several years ago, we, we, we huddled up with our senior leadership team and we said, we have got to put something together to equip contemporary Christian Adventists with the ability to be a winsome, contagious witness. So for years now, under Skip McCarty's leadership... We've been working on something called the Contagious Adventist Seminar. So to put that little study team together, we said, wait a minute, we have got to have a quasi-agnostic serving on that, uh, on that team. Someone and Dick, who saw the light. Someone who saw the light. Who, who better could sit in our circle now and say, hey, let me tell you how it comes across to me. And so, Dick, you've had a part in the research and the writing process, and you actually wrote some of the material for that study on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an incredible seminar and we're just ready to offer the alpha version that Dick and our team have been working on for years, years. If you would reach into your bulletin right now, you're going to see a, a little piece of paper like this and I need you, while Dick is standing right here with me, I need you to pull it out because I want you to take this. I want you, this, this is going to be so user-friendly for you. This is going to be no pressure, easy learning, How you can become a winsome, contagious disciple of the Lord Jesus in the third millennium. Come on, we can't use the old methods of our grandpas and grandmas. We've got to have something fresh. And so, if you would turn it over, there's a place for you to scribble down your name, your address. Give us your cell phone. Put your email in twice so that we make sure we can get in touch with you. Because next Sabbath, we're going to offer, first time in history, hallelujah, the Alpha version, of the Contagious Adventist Seminar. We're going to offer it in the Physics Amphitheater, 10 o'clock. You can come at 10 o'clock. We're going to have a top-notch team of teachers there. We're going to give the syllabus to you that Dick has helped to prepare. You will never be the same again after the Contagious Adventist Seminar. And so, I wish you'd take a moment right now, just, just, just scribble your name down, that address, so that we can have it in just a moment. When the ushers come to give extra study guides out, They'll also receive these from you. So take a moment real quick right now. And Dick Mackey, God bless you. Your testimony is what Jesus is all about. Thank you very much. How about another hand for Dick Mackey? The ushers are going to come your way. Take a pen. I'm I'm serious. Just grab a pen right now and uh, fill that out. They'll come by in about uh, three moments to receive it. But I'm not going to wait for them because I am so excited about today's teaching. It's the third story in the book of Acts and we just come to it by the journey we're on Two Sabbaths already in this series of primetime. But is there a more primetime story than Acts 3? Open your Bible to Acts 3. This is one of my favorite in the whole book of Acts. Acts chapter 3. We got to go to this story because there is a secret tucked away in this story that is the primetime key primetime key to this prayer. Give me, give me your eyes, oh God, give me your eyes. So if you didn't bring a Bible, take our pew Bible, it'd be page 734. Let's go. 734, that's the New King James Version in the pew, but I'm going to be here, I've got to find it myself, I'm going to be here in the today's New International Version, the T-N-I-V. All right, Acts chapter 3, follow along. Uh, Ushers? We're going to wait a little bit. I didn't see you guys jump up and uh, actually they're not through filling it out. So hold on and then we'll get to the study guide in just a moment. That way they'll have just that extra moment to fill it out. We got we got the best ushers in the world and they are ready to go. But I want to give you just one more moment. If I see something you still writing, that's OK. Fill it out. We'll be your way in just a moment. Acts chapter three, verse one. One day, Peter and John. Now, how old is John? We don't know. John was probably a teenager when Jesus called him. He might have been 19. He's John Boy. This is the kid in the group. So if he was 19 or 20 when Jesus called him, you had three and a half. He's 23 in this, he's 23 in this story. I want you, uh, university students to note that. He's 23, 24, maybe maxed out at 25. Okay? So he's your age. Peter and John. Now talking about a mutton Jeff. We don't, know, we don't know Peter's age, but if Peter were 35, and we know he was married when Jesus called him, but if Peter were in his 30s, you know, he's late 30s, maybe early 40s. So you have this 25-year-old kid, as it were, 23, with a big old bragioso fisherman. They're both fishermen, actually, trained on, the, trained on the Sea of Galilee. So here's what's happening. Verse 1, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer... At three in the afternoon, it's the time of the evening sacrifice, wherever they were in Jerusalem, Peter looked over at John or John boy looked at Peter and said, hey, you want to go to prayer? Let's go to pray together. There's nothing wrong with two men praying. Is that a sin for two men to be friends and pray together? Are you kidding? Let's go to prayer. And they both agree. Verse two. Now, a man who was lame from birth. We know from the end of uh, the story in chapter four, he's 40 years old. He's been he's been lame. Ladies and gentlemen, for 40 years, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate. And what's the name of the temple gate? What does it say in your Bible? It's the gate beautiful. And I'm telling you what, I've been to Jerusalem and I've seen what the architects and archaeologists have collaborated. They have this incredible spread to show what Jerusalem looked like at the time of Christ. And it's Herod's temple. You cannot imagine the glory of that temple. This gate, beautiful. These are massive white ivory colonnades and carved into the white in gold is the trellis of a vine all the way to the top. They say in the afternoon when that sun begins to dip towards the west and it shines on that gate. It is resplendent. Hence the name. Gate, beautiful. All right. Now, a man was lame from birth, this is verse 2, and was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. It's not a dishonorable profession. You can't do anything else with these legs. These legs have never, suspend, never sustained your body's weight. So, you're going to have to beg. And who better to, who, who better to make the appeal to than the people who are going to worship God? There's no heart that's more open to you than a heart that's on its way to worship God. And so, he, at that strategic. Wise planning. They put him at that gate. He's going to ask. Verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter... You know, there's a little law about giving. The people who give the most are usually the poorest. You want to get money? Go to a poor person. Don't go to a wealthy person. Go to a poor person. Now, I know there are so many exceptions to that rule. Don't lock me into it. But you understand... He sees these two fishermen, just two threadbare fishermen on their way to prayer meeting together. And he says, you know what? These guys got a coin in those deep pockets. I'm going to try. So that's what, the, uh, that's what Luke tells us here. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, they're just stepping off that last stair going into the gate, beautiful. He asked them for money. Hey, fellas, alms for the poor. Hey, over hey, here, over here, over here, over here. Alms for the poor. Puts his bony hand out. And verse 4, Peter stops dead in his track. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. They stop. Big man looks. Younger man looks. They both lock on to that lame man sitting beneath the colonnade. And then Peter said, and I'm telling you what, the lame man's heart just soars into heaven when he hears these words. Peter said, hey, boy, look at us. And the guy's heart leaps. You know why? Because obviously the only time anybody in this temple yells out for attention is when he's going to do something mighty to be applauded by the public. And so the the beggar's heart leaps. All right, I'm looking. Look at us, he says. And Peter sees that. He sees that expectation on the face and he has to cut it out right now. And he looks into that beggar's face. He said, hey. I have no silver. I have no gold. (laughs) The guy says, what a sucker I am. I thought, look at me. Look at me, boy. I have no silver or gold. I had to learn this verse as a kid growing up. Silver and gold. Have I none? But such as I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And that man, that 40-year-old man, is paralyzed physically and emotionally. He is in that split second that is not unfamiliar with all of our journey, that split second between unbelief and belief. He's not sure. 40 years of wasted vegetable legs? You're asking me to get up and walk? And Peter sees in that split second as well, there's a faith crisis right here. By the way, it's okay to have a faith crisis. It's okay to be an unbeliever. It's okay to be suspended between unbelief and belief if you don't stay there forever. God send us a good friend who in that moment says, I'm going to help you believe because that's exactly what Peter does. Look at the next verse. Peter reaches out and he grabs a man. He grabs a man, probably his right hand, the man's right hand, and he says, All right, go. Now, this guy, this guy isn't even a sack of potatoes. Peter has pulled in. He's pulled in hundreds, hundreds of pounds of fish. Look at that torso. So he reaches down. It's just like picking up a little little gunny sack. He says, come on. And you'll notice this, ladies and gentlemen. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this amazing? Watch this. Verse 7. Taking him by the right hand, he, Peter, helped him, the lame man up. And somewhere between down and up, instantly, the man's feet and ankles. Iron. Iron. Ah. And here's the greatest understatement in the entire book of Acts. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Do you remember when you were a kid? Come on. Don't pretend like you're that old. Do you remember when you were a kid and your daddy would come walking in the room and say, hey, we're going to the zoo today. You remember how you reacted? Come on. You started. You started. I remember my kids. They would just start jumping and then they go like this. Did you do that? Did you do that? You were so excited. You couldn't hold it back physically. And that is precisely what's happened with this man with iron legs now. He is leaping and jumping. And it's Luke's favorite phrase. Praising God. And oh boy, does it start a commotion. Verse uh, verse 10, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The end. Isn't that a great story? I just love that story. reminds me of another story about Thomas Aquinas, the great Middle Ages theologian of the church and philosopher. One day, he was having a personal audience with Pope Urban IV, there in Rome. And the Pope was taking his beloved counselor and theologian and showing him the amassed treasures of Rome heaped high on the tables. And the Pope says to him, You see, Thomas, my son, the church can no longer say, Silver and gold have I none. That theologian shot back, Oh, yes, Holy Father. But neither can she say, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. Ladies and gentlemen, I grant you the wealth of the church today. We are a wealthy church, relatively speaking. We got wealth. But where is the power of the risen Christ? Where is the power that can cry out, silver and gold have we none. But in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk, boy. Now, where is it? Makes you wonder. Big time, we may be sitting here today in need of the secret that set ablaze that first church. If I understand my Bible correctly, what happened to the church in the beginning is supposed to happen all over again with the church in the ending. Is that not true? Then we need to know that secret. Jot it down. You'll never forget this secret. Once you jot it down, you will never forget it. I have been praying. Take out your study guide now. Now, ushers, now's, now's when I need you to go. All right? Study guides are already out. Everybody's got them? All right. Have you turned in the, uh, these beautiful little yellow cards? Everything's done. Head deacon is saying, Dwight, it's under control. Thank you, Milan. All right. Those of you watching on television, let me take a moment with you. We're delighted to have you. Please go to our website. Let me put it on the screen for you. Www. www.pmchurch.tv And those of you in here, if you still didn't get it, you've got to get this study guide. If you didn't get this study guide, this may be the most important study guide in this series. Just hold your hand up. If you didn't get it, it's not one per family. This will be a private study guide, as you will see in just a moment. Now, those of you watching on TV, you can get the same study guide. You're looking for the series, Prime Time. This is part three. If you didn't get the first two parts, go to our website and get the podcast. You can get it. But you're looking for Down on All Fours. That's the title of today's teaching, Down on All Fours. When you see that, it'll say, Study Guide... Click there and you will have it. We got it here. We're ready to go. All right. Number one. You see the first line there. Fill it in, please. The prime time secret of the church in the beginning and at the ending remains the same. It is the time of prayer that unleashes the time of power. Now, that is a crucial point. If I got the direct quote straight out of the TNIV, Let's put it on the screen, please. Uh, Verse 1 again of Acts 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. It was while they were on their way to prayer meeting that this miracle took place. The man would not have been healed if the men had not headed to prayer meeting. No prayer. In that case, no power. And I suppose Peter and John, John was 25 like you, He's 24. I suppose he had a dozen, maybe two dozen, maybe three dozen reasons why he should not be going to prayer meeting this week. I just can't do it. And they would have been valid. And we would have said, yeah, you bet. I understand. You don't have to go to this. But they went to prayer. And it was on their way to prayer that the power was unleashed. It was at the time of prayer. Well, obviously, there is nothing more essential than prayer, at least in the book of Acts. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? I mean, if we really believed that ourselves, wouldn't we be praying all the time? I mean, if you really believed in the power of prayer. This is a great line here. Frank Lobbock. Put it on your, uh, in your study guide. Fill this in, please. Prayer is the mightiest power on earth. Listen. Enough of us. If we prayed enough. Could save the world. If we prayed enough. Free enoughs are just enough for us to get the message that if we prayed enough, enough of us, this world would be a different place. Mm. John Dawson in his marvelous book, Taking Our Cities for God i read that book three or four times through. It just keeps moving me every time I go through it. And there is one line that every time I come on it. It just stirs my heart. It's in a series of lines here, and I want to give them to you. There are three lines here. Let me give you the first one. It's there in your study guide. The priorities of eternity in the spiritual world should be the realities that dominate our thinking. And then he asked the question that made me stop. Boy, when he asked this question the first time I'm reading the book, whoa. He asked the question, are you a Christian in belief? but an agnostic in practice. Hey, what's an agnostic? What's an agnostic? Somebody said, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I really believe this or not. I mean, I just don't know. Are you a Christian? Am I a Christian? But of course, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But am I practically and in practice an agnostic? You say, oh, Dwight, I'd never call you an agnostic. I wouldn't do that to you. Why would you, why would you call anybody an agnostic? Because if I'm not tapping in to the supernatural power of Almighty God, and I'm trying to handle my life always in my own. I'm always coming up with a solution. I'm always looking for getting my way out of stuff. Nothing wrong with using our brains that we've been given, but if I'm totally dependent on me, I'm an agnostic. I just don't believe that God's really able, in this case, to do much at all. Are you a Christian in belief but an agnostic in practice? And then, hold on now, Dawson just blew me out of the water with what you're about to read. There a study guide. The prayer, look at this, the prayer of a human being can alter history by releasing angels into the earth. Now hit the pause button right there. I know that there's some of you here. Your very sterile paradigm of life on this planet does not allow for angelic intervention at any point. It's just too, that's for old ladies and children. You're too bright, you're too wise, too many degrees. Who angels, please, and no angels? I've got to share with you my, my other most favorite story in Acts. Just go over to chapter 12 for a moment. Can't stay long here. Cannot stay long. Acts chapter 12. And. We're not even going to put it on the screen here. It was about this time that Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. And guess what? John Boy. Remember John Boy? This is his older brother James. He said, I'll take James. Herod arrested James. And listen to this. Had him beheaded. Adios. And then when he saw that it pleased the religious authorities, you know what Herod did? He said, man, you guys got to like this, don't you? Let me get another one of those apostles. And he takes Peter. Peter. And Peter is put into prison, prepared to be beheaded the next day when the story starts here. And isn't this amazing? I used to wrestle with this. Look at at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And I'm saying, man, come on, guys. You really blew it for James. Why didn't you have a prayer meeting for James? You could have gotten him out. And I used to think, isn't that weird? They didn't have the prayer meeting until the second guy's in. And then it hit me. Because Stephen's already been martyred. And it hit me. You know what? I'll bet the church thought, the early church, hey, the guys that were with Jesus, can't touch them. Can't touch them. If you're an apostle, you're guaranteed. And then James, gone. And boy, when wicked King Herod says, I'm going to take number two, that place goes berserk. We have got to pray. The word there, by the way, in the Greek, where it says, they earnestly prayed for Peter. It's the same word that the same author Luke uses in his gospel, chapter 22, verse 44, when he describes Jesus down on all fours in the garden of Gethsemane, pleading with God to save his life. They are doing the same kind of praying. It's all four praying. It's called down on all fours. They are begging God constantly, earnestly, save Peter. And old Peter, bless his soul, he figures he's going to be gone tomorrow. Look, if it's good for James, we fished together for so many years. I'm next. Peter is sound asleep in the prison. I tell you what, that's the peace that passes understanding. (laughs) I don't understand it. I'd be up saying prayers all night long. Is there any sin I left out? Because I'm going tomorrow. Peter's, Peter's sound asleep. Snoring away. And unfortunately for Peter, he has an impolite guardian angel. That angel just doesn't have courtesy at all. You look at the next verse. It says the angel shows up. What verse is this? It says the angel shows up in uh, verse 7. Suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to him and a light shone in the cell. And get this. He strikes him. When I'm asleep, all you have to do is say, hey, Dwight. Dwight, hey, 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 hey. You don't hit me. That's what the angel does. Wake up. You know, the angel probably knows that these fishermen can sleep through anything. And he knows a little gentle call. Yo, Pete. Up. And just like that. Chains all gone. Come on, come on, come on, come on. We've got stuff to do. Go. Follow me. Four units of Roman guards. Four each. Four. Door opens. They're all asleep. Four, door opens. They're all asleep. Four more, door opens, all asleep. Four more, and it's outdoors. Door opens. Angel and Peter gone. And they the 16 sleep through it all. The record says that the angel went one block with Peter. And then, shh, has gone. And Peter says, I'm not dreaming. This is fresh air. And you know where Peter goes? He goes straight to prayer meeting. They're in prayer meeting for him. I wish we had time to unpack this story because when he goes to the prayer meeting and he knocks on the door, there's a servant girl named Rose. In Greek it's Rhoda, but her name is Rose. She answers the door. She says, who's there? Who's there? He says, it's Peter. She says, I said, who's there? He said, I said, Peter. Peter who? Peter me. She is so excited. The one they've been praying for is here. She leaves the door locked, goes back to the prayer meeting. She says, hey, guys, time out. Hey, hey, hey. It takes a young adult to do this. Stop praying. Enough prayers. Shh, woman, get down. No. Hey, Peter's at the door. Get down and pray, girl. How long have you been praying? No, I'm serious. Peter's at the door. you got to be crazy. No, I'm telling you, he's at the door. And they open the door and Peter comes walking in. They say, hey, why didn't you tell us he was at the door? I love that story. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it's countercultural to the paradigm you and I have grown up in. Our paradigm is you pray. Who cares? Maybe something happened. Maybe it doesn't. But they believed. They said, no, God, you have angels that you can release. And that's John Dawson's point. That's Dawson's point. Let me read it again. The prayer of a human being can alter history by releasing angels into the earth. And here's what struck me. I tell you, I was... I was reprimanded with this line. If we really believe this truth, Dawson writes, we would pray with intensity and we would pray constantly. I read that line years ago and every time I read it, it just goes, if I really believed that the Almighty God of the universe when I pray is prepared if need be to release the forces of His army in heaven to answer that prayer, I would be in prayer intensely and constantly. I would be praying all the time, and so would you. Don't you go looking at me like you wouldn't. You would, if you believed. No wonder in the book of Acts, we find the record that the praying of its prime-time players, Acts records that praying 25 times. Write it down. 25 times there in prayer. I counted it in the Greek. That's why I'm convinced, ladies and gentlemen, that prayer is the most potent weapon in this arsenal of the primetime generation. You are the primetime generation. And listen, prayer is your most potent weapon in your arsenal. And by the way, this is not any old prayer. Oh, God is gracious. God is good. Let us thank Him for this food. No, it's not any old prayer. Lord, I lay me down to sleep. My, pray these, my soul to keep. No, 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 no. This is prayer for lost people. Now listen, by name, by name. My name. In fact, if you'd like to take this entire teaching and reduce it to a single sentence, here it is in your study guide. Fill it in, please. Prayer is the power of passion put to practice. That's it. Prayer is the power of passion Put to practice. You're saying, hey, Dwight, what passion are you talking about? What we've been talking about for the last two Sabbaths. The God's unrelenting passion for lost people. That is, the most, that is the most explosive power in the universe. Are you following the news? Did you hear what happened this last week beneath the grassy sod of the border between Switzerland and France? Did you hear about that? The world's largest atom smasher. Particle accelerator. 17-mile circuit underground was put in operation. They want to find out how the Big Bang, how could the universe have started with immense power? Ladies and gentlemen, that power is nothing in comparison to the God who is the Lord of the universe. Prayer. Prayer is tapping the passion. In fact, you know what? God's love for lost people is a great... Write this down. God's love for lost people is the greatest power in the universe, bar none. None. When you and I go to our knees and we remember by name an individual who is lost, we are tapping into his passion. We are tapping into his power. Prayer is the power of passion put to practice. My friend Joe Engelmar, in his marvelous book, 30 Days, 30 Days to Intercessory Prayer, he's quoting Andrew Murray, the great Southern Afri- South African divine. And uh, it's in your study guide. These are the words of Andrew Murray. 30 days to more powerful intercessory prayer. Where there is much prayer, Murray's writing, there will be much of the Spirit. And where there is much of the Spirit, there will be much prayer. Now, hold on. Between our impotence. You know what? M means no. Potent means power. No power. Between our no power and God's omnipotence. Omni means all. So that's all power. Between our no power and God's all power. Intercession. Write it down. Intercession is the blessed link. And what is intercession? Intercession is praying for others. It's what Jesus does for you and me 24-7. You ever read Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25? And he always lives to make intercession for us. 24-7. And by the way, hold on. This isn't something he started once he got back to heaven. After the ascension? Nope, 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 nope. Jesus was an intercessor when He was here on earth. In fact, the night before He was executed, get this, He sees the same Peter, this same Peter, He sees Simon, and He says, This is Luke 22, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like sand, but I have prayed for you that you will be converted. He was an intercessor before He left us. He prayed for the lost. And so should we. In fact, jot this down. This is, this is Paul, one of the great intercessors of Christian history. This is what? 1 uh, Timothy First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. Fill it in. Paul says, I urge then that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved. And notice there's still more to that who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Some people say, well, if you just get them up to Jesus, then that's all they need. No, no, that's to be saved. But you also need to come to a knowledge of the truth. I wish God wants all to be saved. Clearly, prayer is the power of God's passion put to human practice. I'm telling you what, it's the most potent weapon in the arsenal of faith and love. God could do for Dick Mackey. Listen to me carefully now. Dick who was standing right here with me, sitting out there now. God could do for Dick Mackey what Dwight could not do if he'd spent another 30 years. I'd done all the arguing, done all the logic, looked at all the Scripture. Not enough. But God says, hey, Dwight, stand back now. You're praying for Dick? Good. Let me show you what I can do, boy. And Dick, on a night when he has collapsed in tears senses somebody come behind him and say, you're not alone. And in his heart he says, this is Jesus. Look, I could do it with Saul with a little light on the road to Damascus. Boom. And now he believes in Jesus. I can do it with Dick in the kitchen. You guys, you're writing me off too soon. What do you think I am? Impotent? I can do anything I want. You just talk to me about the lost. I'll take care of the rest. Isn't that something? No wonder Wesley well. I love this line. Boy, you can fill it in. You can love more people through prayer than any other way. You want to love this world? You love people through prayer more than any other way. So, here's the question. Dwight, how can I effectively pray for lost people? Let me close by sharing with you five very simple but successful strategies. You'll be able to do this to pray for your family, your friends, your neighbors, and even strangers. Watch this. You'll pray for strangers. Jot these down on In closing, number one, make a list. Without a list, you will never remember to pray for the lost. Who goes on that list? Keep your pen moving. Anyone you care about who needs to know Christ and his truth. So that could be members of your family. But, of course, start with those closest to you. You might have family members who are lost. It could be your parents. It could be be your children. It could be a brother-in-law. It could be a cousin. Look at, I know you have a huge family tree. You don't have to put your whole family tree on that prayer on that prayer list, but you have a special burden for some of your family. Put their names on your prayer list. Who else goes on that list? Put your friends. What are you talking about, my friends? Well, I'm talking about your classmates. I'm talking about roommates. I'm talking about buddies from childhood. I'm talking about golfing partners. I don't know how you have your friends. You got your friends. Do, do I have to put all my friends on it? No. Just put the lost friends number one and those that you're especially burdened for let put them down. Do you got any neighbors? Yeah, I got the guy in the next room in the dorm. Pray for him. I got neighbors at home. they lost, pray for them by name. You have associates at work? You have colleagues in your profession? You know they're lost? Pray for them. And now, hold on. You can even pray for strangers who have no idea that you are praying for them. You are a total stranger to them. I have two, two names on my prayer list. Of well-known preachers. And I pray for them. If you, if, if you would go to them and say, Hey, this guy named Dwight, he's praying for you. They would be affronted, as it were, by, that, by the very thought. What do you mean praying for me? I'm saved. Ah, but you see, I'm desperate for these leaders to know the truth of the book they preach. And I'm thinking if this guy could find that truth. Oh! What God could do on this planet. There's, they, they know nothing about a human being named Dwight. But I pray for them. They're on my prayer list. You can pray for strangers. Point is, you got to pray for somebody. Make the list. Alright, let me let me put a quotation on the screen for you. In our petitions, we are to include our neighbors as well as ourselves. No one prays aright who seeks a blessing for herself alone. If our prayers have all become me, 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 I'm telling you what, you can still get through to God. You're not getting the great blessing until you get off of you, sister. Until you get off of you, bro. Your prayers are not having the maximum effect they can have back on you. Pray for other people. All right. Number one, make a list. Number two, pray the list. Pray the list. Should I pray this list every day? No, you don't have to. The list is going to get too long. You won't be able to do it every day. There, There is other stuff you and God have got to deal with. I pray the list every Friday. Friday morning is my prayer list to go through that prayer list in its entirety. Once a week. The point is there's no point in a prayer list if you're not praying it. I used to have prayer lists all over the house. But I never prayed them. It took me a while to realize the whole point of a prayer list is to use it. Make the list. Pray the list. And oh, by the way, look at the blessing in store for you. Can I put this on the screen for you? As we seek to win others to Christ, bearing the burden of souls in our prayers, our own hearts will throb with the quickening influence of God's grace. Our own affections will glow with more divine fervor. Our whole Christian life will be more of a reality, more earnest and more prayerful. I'm telling you, the residual, the reciprocal benefits are out of sight when you pray for somebody else. All right, number three, work the list. Make the list, pray the list, work the list. For some time, I've had the name of a college professor on my prayer list. He teaches at another college in our vicinity. We studied the Bible together. The Spirit seemed to be leading us deeper and deeper and deeper. And when all of a sudden, I'm telling you, he went through a crisis. It was a meltdown. And when that crisis was over, every effort I made to reconnect and get get our studies going again, it was all rebuffed. No, 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 no. Emails, phones, yeah. I said, God, he's on my prayer list. I've got to keep him on my prayer list. So I kept praying. One day, when I'm praying my prayer list, on a Friday, this name came with special burden to me. And I prayed again for him, and I said, God, you know what? I've done everything I can. I don't know what to be doing now. I'm at my wit's end on this professor. What do you think? Uh, here's the deal, God. If you want me, if, if this thing is over, it's over. Sometimes it's over. I understand that. But if this is not over and you want us to study together again, you have him contact me. Two hours later, he wrote me an email and said, Dwight, I have missed our time together. When can we reconnect and study? Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a story about Dwight. This is a story about an almighty God that says, Why don't you talk to me about these people? I'm the one that wants to save them. You pray for them. I act for them. You ask me you got to work your list. That's the point. You can't just say, oh, do something for them. You have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone, make that contact, have that conversation. You're saying, oh, Dwight, there is no way I could ever have a Bible study with anybody, lead somebody to Jesus or teach, show somebody the teachings of the Bible. My friend, you are so wrong. That's why we have the Contagious advent Seminar. That's why you haven't handed it in yet. Please hand it in. That's why that little yellow slip gives you a chance to get in on the ground floor and help Us raise up a generation that is equipped to tell the truth about Jesus. You'll deal with the most prime time teachings in all of Holy Scripture, and it's going to be no threat. User friendly, it is going to work with you. You come next Saturday. You come, ten o'clock, physics amphitheater, there's room for you. You come. You can know. All right, number one. Make a list. Number two, pray the list. Number three, work the list. Number four, grow the list. Grow the list. God will keep bringing new names to you if you will faithfully keep adding them. Because you know what? You know what's happening, don't you? God's walking up and down your dormitory hallway. God saying, man, I need somebody in this dormitory hallway praying. But nobody's praying. God comes along to you and you're the guy praying. He says, you know what? My man, you are my intercessor on that hallway. I'm going to bring more names to you. I'm going to bring more names and more names and more names. Because you're the guy acting on it. You live in your neighborhood and nobody else in your neighborhood's praying for the lost. But God finds your heart. Trust me, if you are willing to pray for lost people, He will bring them more and more and more. Grow your list. In fact, would you jot this down, please? You will grow your passion for the lost as you grow your prayers for the lost. You want to have passion for lost people? Pray for them. It'll come. It'll come. Uh, Look at this prayer. Doesn't the sun put it on the screen for you? Oh, that earnest prayer of faith. That the earnest prayer of faith may arise everywhere. What prayer is this? Oh, I love this. Give me souls buried now in error or I die. Just give me somebody to reach in my business for you. Give me somebody. Please. God will honor that. And finally, number five, keep the list. You know what that means? Keep on praying no matter what. No matter what happens. No matter what doesn't happen. Don't quit praying because it doesn't happen. Just keep praying. Don't quit bringing that lost heart to Jesus in your prayers. I want to close, I want to close with the story of George Mueller who through sheer faith and prayer raised, get this, he raised the equivalent of of $180 million without ever asking a human being for a penny. He said, God, here's the deal. Early on in his life, he was burdened for the orphans of England. He said, God, here's the deal. If you provide, I'll never ask a soul for money. And God says, let's go. And so George Mueller, $180 million, he never asked one soul. God just supernaturally put a burden on somebody. Somebody show. hey, I thought you might need this. 10,000 orphans in his string of orphanages in England in the mid-1800s. 10,000 orphans got saved because a man had a passion for lost kids. Won't you tell me God doesn't know what he's doing? Anyway, this is George Mueller. So So early on in his life, he says, Okay, God, I'm picking five lost friends and I'm going to pray for these friends. I'm going to pray for these friends until they're saved. Here's the story. So these five lost friends, early on... After five years, one friend came to Christ. Hallelujah. I got four lost friends. He kept praying. Ten more years of prayer, two more friends were converted. I got two lost friends now. He came over here to the United States. He was in Chicago. And he told, he told a crowd, I have prayed for two men by name every day for 35 years, on land or sea, sick or well. I have remembered them before God by name, and I shall continue to pray for them daily by name until they are saved or die. And after 35 years of prayer, the fourth friend was saved. One friend left. And for 52 years, George Mueller prayed for that one friend until death came. And took Mueller. Three days after his funeral, the friend was saved. You can't quit. Keep the list means keep praying. Don't you? As long as you're alive, you keep praying. There has got to be somebody in your life right now that desperately needs you to be praying. You know what? I suppose there's somebody that you know that if you didn't pray for that lost person, there wouldn't be another soul on this planet who by name would be praying for that individual. There has to be somebody. Five lost friends, you got them. Five people who are lost, you got them. What would happen if you and I said, Hey, come on, we're the primetime generation. Let's use the most potent weapon we have. You don't have to go to school for this weapon. You just go to your knees. What would happen if you and I agreed? Okay, Do I'm going to pray for five lost people. We're a congregation of 3,000. That would be 15,000 lost people who would be prayed for every single week. That's not an insignificant number. And you can come up with more than five. There at the end of your study guide, you see it there. I wish you'd take your study guide right now and I wish you'd fill it out. I'm going to give you a moment... Quiet, I'm going to bring my friend Brad Kruger out here with his ensemble that he put together. There's an old gospel hymn, For You I Am Praying. I need you to listen to the words of this hymn because it's so great. But I don't want you to be distracted from writing the names down because at the end of the hymn, just three stanzas, at the end of it, we're going to go to our knees and we're going to hold these up to God. And we are, this will be the first prayer for some of you for, a lost, for, the, for five lost friends. huh? So right now, take that study guide. And by the way, when you're doing the study guide, let me just remind you. You see the little asterisk at the bottom? Circle the ones you want to invite to Discoveries 08. Mark Finney is going to be here in, uh, in uh, about four weeks. You want to invite some of these? Your heart maybe needs to be prepared for it. Just circle the names of the ones you want to invite. Singers, Brad, come on, sing for us. Sing us that, For You I Am Praying. And I tell you what, if you know the chorus, if you know the chorus, it's a great chorus. I heard it first service if you know that chorus, you sing with them. You sing with them. For you I am praying. For you I am praying. Our knees right now, right where you are. Take this list, hold the list in your hand. Just we're going to lift this list, these lists, corporately to God. For you, I am praying, let's do. And so, Holy Father, we are here on our knees. We look at the church in Acts, apparently, they move forward on their knees for lost people. And so, wanting to follow that example set, we've gone to our knees. Oh God, our prayer is a simple one, just two prayers. Prayer number one keep us on our knees for these lost friends and family. You know, in Kodachrome color, the pictures of those faces came to us in an instant when we thought of somebody to write down. Full color memory. We want that man, we want that woman, that boy, that girl, Jesus. We want them saved. Keep us on our knees. On behalf of these, we love. On behalf of these, we hardly know, but they're lost. Just two prayers, Jesus. Keep us on our, keep us on our knees and keep them. These names we've scribbled down. Keep them on your heart. Don't you ever, don't you ever turn away from them. As long as there is a breath in that boy's body. As long as the heart of that girl beats. Jesus. Do whatever it takes. We tried everything. It'll have to be supernatural. But surely you can Pour out upon us, as the ancient prophet Zechariah said, a spirit of supplication and grace. And may we pray for the lost as long as we have breath or until You come. In Your name, we collectively pray right now. Amen.